the, uh, the regular pew Bible. So, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Am I echoing a bit there, Greg? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar with foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day, Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease. To the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The next reading is John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. That's on page 862. John chapter 3. 1 to 15. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are uh, old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot a second time enter into their mother's womb and to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it comes or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The third reading is uh, Hebrews, chapter 12, 14 to 29, on page 
976. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 to 29. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and uh, to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights to, as the eldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet uh, blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now has promised. Once more, I will not shake only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptedly with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. We ask you to, to um, be with Trevor and be with us, open our hearts to the word of the Lord and, uh, and let him speak freely of, uh, as he is inspired to do so. Dear Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Indeed, thank you. It's, uh, it's great to be with you again as we come to uh, look again at this 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Please have it open in front of you. I think it was on page... 976 and uh, we come to this passage this morning which can be a confusing passage for some people and so I want to pray and ask for God's guidance and wisdom as we come to it this morning. 
Father God, we just listen to these words of Scripture being read to us. And please, God, let us stop there at that point. Help us through your Spirit to both understand them and to live them out in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage this morning begins with three interesting but quite familiar words, doesn't it? Make every effort. And it sounds a bit like the words that we looked at last week. Yeah? Run with perseverance. Or in other words, put your back into it, you. Give it your best shot. And we've all heard these words before, haven't we? Maybe from our parents or from a school teacher or from a boss or a sports coach. Make every effort. But is it worth it? Is it worth it? God, is it really worth it? No pain, no gain, no hope. But the gain better outweigh the pain or it's self-narcotism. Make every effort. The Christian life is certainly hard. We saw that last week. But at times it can be very uncomfortable. Is it worth it? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Can you? Oh. <laughs> now that is amazing. I won't have to make as much effort. No, no. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And we need to remember here that we are called on by God to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If you look back to verse 11 quickly in this passage, there the writer has already told us that this peace is one of the products of being disciplined by God. Living in peace with everyone is not going to be easy. Yeah, It can be difficult. And it can be painful because, as verse 11 tells us, no discipline is pleasant at the time. We are also to make every effort to be holy. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, tells us that just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And here, verse 14 says the same thing, only it says it a bit stronger. Make every effort to be holy. Why? Well, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Last week, in the first few verses of this chapter, we were told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and to do that, we need to be striving with all our might to live holy and godly lives. Now, at first glance, this verse might seem to be, you know, teaching a sort of salvation by works, yeah? You know, if we successfully pursue peace and holiness, then we will be saved and we will see the Lord. 
but I don't know if you can do that. You see, the truth is, without Christ, no one can pursue peace and holiness. Well, not successfully anyway. Only someone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has the ability through the Holy Spirit to live in peace and holiness. Isaiah 57 says, There is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah 64, any righteous acts that a person tries to produce apart from God is but as filthy rags. Now in Christ we are already at peace with God. So notice that living in peace here has to do with the way that we live in relation to others. Whereas being holy has to do with the way we live in our relationship with God. If we love God, we will want to be like him. We will want to live a pure and obedient and holy life. We will want to live a life that is set apart for God's glory. Now, our our objective here is not to get closer to one another, but to get closer to God. God. I read where our Christian unity is a bit like a ruck in a rugby game. Yeah? Uh, an uninformed spectator at a rugby game might wonder what on earth and why on earth a group of grown adults are throwing themselves on top of each other in such a ridiculous way. Whoops. Well, the truth is they're trying to get possession of a ball that happens to be somewhere in the middle of it all. Yeah? Well, as Christians, we try to become more like Jesus. And as we do that, we find ourselves very close to everyone else who is trying to be like Jesus. And at the centre of it all is the Lord Jesus. Yeah? And we make every effort to know him more fully and to be like him. Now the reality is that we don't have to do this alone. You see, our brothers and sisters in Christ are there to, well, well, to cover our backs. Verse 15, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble <coughs> Excuse me, and defile many. When we come to Christ, we become part of the body of Christ, don't we? The church, where we enjoy fellowship and support from other Christians. And within the body, there is to be a mutual care and accountability. Where, you know, like the old school excursions, you keep an eye out for each other, don't you? Is there anyone missing? Are we all here? Is so-and-so still with us? And perhaps some of you have already been asking yourselves that question in church this morning as you've looked around. Is anyone missing? Is the person who normally sits next to you here or not? Maybe a member of your home group. And you might be sitting there thinking, I wonder why they're not here. Are they sick? Are they on holidays? I should pray for them. Our pursuit of holiness is something personal. But it's not something we do alone. We do it together. 
It's your love and support and encouragement and prayer and affirmation that gives me confidence. That supports me. It gives me the confidence I need to grow in my Christ-likeness. And I hope and pray the same is true for you as well, that your brothers and sisters in Christ are looking out for you and supporting and encouraging you. But alas, the reverse is also true. If we're not careful, we can also have a negative effect on each other. If I happen to be bitter or godly or worldly, then that too will rub off, oh, sorry, rub off on the people around me. If you find a, a mouldy strawberry in a, you know, a punnet of strawberries you've bought, then you tend to look very closely, don't you, at all the strawberries around it, the ones that are touching it. And why? Because mould spreads. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And the writer here gives us two examples of a bitter root. Sexual immorality and ungodliness. And without each other's positive support and encouragement and even your rebuke, we could end up being like Esau. Yeah? Remember Esau? Jacob and Esau. He was someone who had no regard for God. Only himself. And he came home from hunting one day and he was absolutely famished. He was starving. He was starving so much and hungry so much that Esau was willing to trade the promise blessing of his future inheritance, his birthright as the firstborn son, for a bowl of stew. If holding on to future promises meant experiencing hunger and discomfort and pain right now, then it was no contest for Esau. No contest for him at all. He wanted satisfaction and enjoyment now. They say that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach, yeah? Well, in this case, it's his full stomach that actually shows us the spiritual condition of his heart. Esau had done his dash, and for one full stomach, his birthright was gone, given up forever. Hey, we need each other's help and encouragement we need that to, to help us to see things differently to the way that the world around us sees them. We need to see that the promise of eternal life and the reality of heaven are well and truly out of this world, so to speak. And just one Christian friend can make all the difference. When you go to university or to high school for the first time, one other Christian can make such a difference, yeah? It's the same in the workplace or wherever you might be. Never underestimate how much you need other Christians. But far more significantly than the corporate nature of our Christian life is the reality of our Christian experience in Jesus Christ. 
But when we come to Christ, we don't come to the old covenant, but to the new. We are no longer under law, but under grace. Verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Notice how God is not mentioned here, is he? There's the fire, the darkness, the gloom, the storm, there's the trumpet blast and the voice, which of course is the voice of God. And it was just all too much for the Israelites who were gathering around there. Too much for them to bear. They were terrified. And it even got to the point where they had had enough. And so they pleaded with Moses to intercede for them and ask for this voice to stop. And by the way, Moses wasn't totally cool with what was happening either, was he? Notice how everything was tangible. Yeah, Everything was tangible. The mountain was right there in front of them and they could have reached out and touched it and yet, in reality, it was unapproachable. It was off limits. You would have had to have rocks in your head if you went out and touched it on purpose. That would have been like committing suicide. The thunder and the lightning, the fire, the darkness, the trumpet blast and so on were all very real to them. They could see them and they could hear them. And it literally put the fear of God into them. The law given at Mount Sinai made no exceptions or allowances for less than perfect obedience. So here then is the old covenant of law and fear and judgment and death. In fact, all those who stood around Mount Sinai on that day, aged 20 years and over, died in the wilderness because of their unbelief and disobedience. Now compare that with the second mountain, Mount Zion, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. <clears throat> Notice how this is the opposite to Mount Sinai. Yep. They were already on this gracious mountain, yeah? You have come to Mount Zion, we're told. This mountain is not tangible. It's not touchable, but it is approachable, just as God himself is approachable. And whereas Mount Sinai was forbidding and terrifying, Zion 
is inviting and gracious and a place of joy. It can't be seen with a human eye or you can't touch it with a human hand. We come to it by faith. Again, the writer says you have come to Mount Zion. You're already on this gracious mountain, already in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, as Christians, we are already citizens of heaven, aren't we? This is where your treasure is. This is where your inheritance is. This is where your hope is. And coming to Jesus is the only way that a person can come to heaven. Remember the words of John 14 where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. But for now... We are also ambassadors on earth, yeah? Citizens of heaven, ambassadors on earth. And as ambassadors, we have full citizenship in our home country. Although being away from it, we don't get to enjoy all of its rich blessings until we go home. However, in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul exhorts us not to lose sight of our heavenly home. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in the joyful assembly. Hey, we've come to a great gathering of angels who are worshipping and praising God. And again, notice that it is a joyful assembly. I remember the words of Jesus as I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. What a stark contrast to the fearful assembly that gathered around Mount Sinai. You have come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Or in other words, you have come to the body of Christ. The firstborn are those who receive the inheritance. And as Christians, we are now co-heirs with Christ. And we rejoice in the great assurance that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You have come to God, the judge of all. On Mount Zion, we come into the very presence of God, which was a totally incomprehensible uh, concept for a Jew who only knew the things of Mount Sinai and the Old Covenant. But at the cross, as Jesus was crucified, remember the veil in the temple, the veil that separated people from the Holy of Holies where God was present symbolically in his people. That curtain was torn in two as Christ died on the cross from top to bottom, making the way into God's presence open forever for all who trust in the eternal work of the cross. To come into God's presence at Mount Sinai meant 
fear and death, but to come into God's presence at Zion is to live. Now this is the same God that spoke at Mount Sinai and he is still the judge of all. But the difference of Zion is that the divine mediator, Jesus, is now present as well as the judge. You have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. A reference, I think, here to the Old Testament saints, you know, like those mentioned in chapter 11. Those Old Testament saints who could only look forward to the forgiveness and peace and deliverance that Messiah would bring. And now all those promises have been found in Jesus. And then supremely, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That is how our Lord and Saviour is here called by his redemptive name, Jesus, that name that was given to him because he would save his people from their sins. When we come to Mount Zion, we come to our Saviour, our Redeemer, our one and only Mediator, the one who intercedes for us before the throne of God. And you come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And this, of course, is the atoning blood of Jesus Christ through which we have redemption and by which those who were once far away have been brought near. The blood of Christ far surpasses the blood of Abel. You see, the blood of Abel had no atoning power whatsoever, did it? Not even for Abel, let alone anyone else. However, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse the sins of the whole world and to make peace with God for those who trust in his sacrificial death on the cross. At Mount Sinai, God gave his chosen people the law. But at Zion, at Jerusalem, God gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is my holiness, he is my righteousness, he is my sacrifice, he is my life. In the last couple of chapters of the Bible, as we're given a glimpse of this heavenly Jerusalem, we're told that every obstacle, every impediment, every hindrance to an intimate relationship with God has been removed. And it's been removed by Jesus Christ, by his sprinkled blood, his blood shed on the cross. No wonder this is a joyful assembly, yeah? So different from the terror and the fear of Mount Sinai. But I must say this. Have you noticed how much the church on earth seems to be always trying to go back from Zion to Mount Sinai? I mean, it's amazing. They want to go back to what may be seen and touched. Now, there are many who think that church gatherings are about the music 
and the light shining through the stained glass windows and the awe of processions and robes and the smell of incense, the colours of liturgy, the splendour of Gothic architecture, the mystery of symbols, the tangible and visible religious ceremonies through which God did once speak but which now have been superseded in Jesus Christ. The opening few verses of the book of Hebrews clearly reminds us that in the past God has spoken to us, or to our ancestors rather, through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Don't go back, the writer of the Hebrews says. In Christ you have not come to Mount Zion. You, sorry, you have not come to Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And you now have a friend in high places. Yeah, I mean, for Jesus is our saviour. Jesus is our mediator who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you want to be encouraged in church, don't look at the stained glass windows. Look at other Christians around you. Look at them. Look at those who are putting their faith and trust in the living God and who are among the firstborn, who are among those who have their names written in heaven. Don't listen to the music from our fantastic music team. Listen to each other, praising God. But most importantly, listen to God. Verse 25, see to it, that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. It is the same God who speaks both on earth and from heaven, the same voice. And when we read the Bible or when we listen to sermons on the Bible, we are hearing the voice of the one whose voice brought the whole of the universe into existence. Therefore, perhaps we ought to maybe listen a bit more carefully than we usually do. And that voice is telling you and me that if you are someone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is more committed to you than he is to the universe. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? I mean, that's mind-blowing. Did you see it in verse 26? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that's what God's voice offers to you and to me. A relationship with himself that will stand firm forever. But if you refuse to listen to the voice, you can't enter that 
relationship because you won't even know of the possibility in the first place. There comes a moment in a romantic relationship when a diamond ring is being offered, yeah? And some of us here have reached that point in our lives and maybe there's some here who are hoping that it's going to get there soon. But the idea is that diamonds are a permanent thing. Diamonds are forever. Great title for a movie. Something permanent is being offered in place of something temporary. One person is saying to the other person, hey, this relationship is so great, I want it to last forever. Well, that's what Jesus offers to you and to me, both to the religious and the non-religious person alike. Jesus says, I want you to know God forever. I want you to know that you are his child and that he is your heavenly father. And nothing in heaven or on earth can take that away from you. Hey, God is going to shake the entire universe. And if unbelievers did not escape the, when, when the earth was shaken, how are they going to escape when both the heavens and the earth are shaken and everything that has been created is going to be destroyed? Only eternal things will remain. Back in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer has already, already posed the question, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Those who have come to Christ have come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that is eternal and unchangeable and immovable. It will never be taken from us. And it, we, um, we will never be taken from it. And that should change forever the way that we worship God. Verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Hey, listen, God is still the same. He is still a consuming fire. He has not been toned down or watered down in any way, shape or form. But now God's wrath against our sin has been satisfied because of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. God's just demands have been fully met in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are now to live our whole life in thankfulness and worship of God. Our whole life. No longer can Christians limit the worship of God to just you know a special time on a Sunday morning in a particular building with a particular group of people. No, our worship is now to be the worship of Mount Zion. It is the total life of the believer lived out in gratitude to our awesome God by the power of his spirit in the service of his son. And I trust our worship and praise of God will not stop when we go out from this building this morning. I pray that we will continue to worship a loving and merciful God with 
thankful hearts every moment of every day. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we want to thank you for the way you revealed yourself to us, the way that you revealed to us the great blessings that you've lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. We want to thank you that for this salvation that is ours, the salvation that is there for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, the Saviour and Lord, and his atoning death on the cross. Father, we pray that you'll be with us and help us to live lives that reflect our standing before you. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us and encourage us as we seek to live lives that are holy, as we seek to live at peace with those around us, and as we seek for the good of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we can't do all of that on our own. And so we thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within us, that strengthens us, And we thank you that it's through your strength, your power, that we can achieve this. And we can't finish by not thanking you for our Lord Jesus Christ, for his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that he is not only our saviour but our mediator, the one who intercedes before you on our behalf. Father, we give you our heartfelt thanks in his name. Amen.